So last week we began Jesus' Sermon on the Plain here in Luke. Uh, other places it's called Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at the woes and the blessings that he began his sermon with. And today we come to one of those statements of Jesus that is incredibly breathtaking. It's one of those statements that uh, even 2,000 years of use has not been able to wear off the sharp edges of it. That even when we hear it today, it comes to us in a shocking way. And we begin to immediately think, surely he doesn't mean what he just said. And it's a powerful and encouraging, but initially very difficult thing to hear. And so turn to me, with me, to Luke chapter um, 7, 6, verses 27 through 36, that's printed in your bulletin. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you would wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This commandment, of Jesus to love our enemies presupposes that you and I actually have them, that we are people who uh, accumulate enemies. Enemies in this world are a natural state of things. It's not an arbitrary or a thing that just happens upon a few of us. Making enemies is something that happens to everyone. Because Jesus here in saying, love your enemies, is presupposing that we all have them. And here he goes on to give us a definition of what an enemy is. One of the ways um, historically we've tried to opt out of the implications of this passage is by declaring ourselves enemy free. Uh, oh, that's somebody else. That's not me. I don't have enemies. Well, that's very hard to stand up against Jesus's logic here when he begins to articulate a definition for enemies. And he lays it out here in verses 27, 28, and 30. He shows that an enemy is someone who hates you. An enemy is someone who curses you. An enemy is someone who mistreats or abuses you. An enemy is someone who steals from you. All these are ways that our interactions, we begin to see, oh, I do have enemies. There are people who don't like me, who curse me, who mistreat me, who steal from me. 
One of the things that's important to see here that those statements are on a spectrum. There are ways to show hatred and cursing and abuse and stealing from you that aren't all the way to the, you know, the red line, 100% of that, that still show forth a heart of enmity towards each other. So you can hate by sheer avoidance of others. You don't have to go all the way to um, violent opposition to express a heart of enmity to a neighbor or a coworker. Let me just push a little bit. That person in the office that you avoid, that person in your neighborhood, you carefully leave out. Those are expressions of enmity that are in their beginning stages, but they're part of the same whole cloth of hatred. Or cursing. Sometimes cursing can take on a tone. Don't give me that tone, I'm sure your mom has said to you. Because that was the beginning of learning how to curse, is shifting a tone in order to answer a question with an attack. And that can grow all the way up and scale up to actually, you know, vitriolic speech. But it's all the same of cursing. Or mistreatment or abuse can start as simply snubs. When we snub somebody, it's the beginning of a approach to the other person of mistreatment and abuse that can scale all the way up to physical or violent attack. Or lastly, with stealing. Stealing can start as simply misappropriating somebody's uh, thought and claiming it as your own. And it can scale all the way up to actually breaking and entering and physically robbing the person of something they possess. These are all ways that enmity of the heart is expressed in human interaction. And there is not one of us here that has not both experienced some form of this enmity towards you. And unfortunately, there's not one of us who have not expressed some form of this type of enmity against others. We have been both the recipients and the perpetrators of this type of enmity in our interactions with one another. In fact, to be human in this world is to have enemies and also to be someone else's enemy. It's the way of a fallen world because each of us has used these weapons of destruction even with those we claim to love. So, we all have enemies. We all are enemies. How does Jesus then begin to challenge us to move towards those that we're in enmity with? And here he gives in this passage not just a blanket statement, love your enemies. He begins like a good writer, like a good rhetorician. He begins with a very bold thesis statement, love your enemies. But then he begins to rigorously support that thesis and to define it and flesh it out for us to understand what it means. And here he tells us in the next few verses sort of four pairs 
of what it means to face our enemies with a different stance. He's like, you already know how to curse. You already know how to live in enmity. You already know how to rob one another. Let me give you a different way of facing those challenges, internally, externally. And remember, this is tied with the, the Beatitudes we just looked at last week. And again, there were four pairs there as well. Four blessings, four woes. Here, there are four pairs as well that flesh out a whole new lifestyle of living in peace, living in the kingdom, living in Jesus's way versus the way of the world. And here he says to those of you who experience hate, when people come against you with hate, how do you respond? By doing good. Doing good um, affects our actions. Uh, we kind of live in a modern world where somehow, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to know where this originated from. Some of you guys probably are. You can tell me later. But we seem to be captivated by a notion that if we don't feel it authentic, authentically, then it's not worth doing. But that's not the way of Jesus. He very clearly says, no, when people hate you, respond by doing good to them. Doing good involves what we actually physically respond. It involves our bodies. It involves our actions in response to opposition. Now that action begins with a choice to move towards the other person rather than to avoid them. But it's a call to move towards another person even when they have shown us or said something or done something hateful. There's also to those who curse a call to bless them. Not just our actions are changed by Jesus's way, but our words are changed by Jesus's way. He's saying, I not, you don't just change your actions. You don't become neo-hypocrites. I also, if you want to follow this way of life, it's going to also affect your vocabulary. It's going to affect your words. You're going to use your words to bless. The word here is literally eulogize. Eulogy is what we give when somebody dies. You've all been to funerals, right? You've all been to funerals and you thought, wow, that person's far better than I thought they were in my experience of living with them. Why? Because we eulogized them. We remembered what was blessing about them. We remembered the good things. We reminded people about what was whole and good. What Jesus is saying is don't wait till death to eulogize your enemy. Eulogize them in the moment that they're coming against you with enmity. Eulogize them. Bless them. To those who mistreat you, there's also an injunction to us to pray for them. To pray for them. What does it mean to pray for somebody who moves against us in mistreatment and abuse? Again, this can be a range of things from a small snub all the way to something incredibly violent and difficult. It means we begin to move in prayer. What prayer changes is fundamentally our attitudes. When we pray, we connect outside of ourselves into God and his perspective. And we begin to see 
the moment in light of the eternal, which shifts our perspective. It doesn't mean that Jesus says to write off abuse, to ignore it. He says in the response of abuse, pray and begin to get my perspective on what is going on. And lastly, he says, to those who steal is sort of the, the emphasis here. Not just those who beg, not just those that ask from you, but those who actually come and possess something that you have the rightful, the rights of. He says, to those who steal, I have a new commandment to you. Give. Give to them. Don't um, withhold, but actually release. Let it go. That there will be in this way of Jesus, a financial aspect to a lifestyle of loving your enemy. There will be someone who, according to this world's standards and economy, will lose by following Jesus's way. There's no way to follow the way of Jesus and the way of world and not somebody come out economically less than because of it. And Jesus is saying, look, my way will end up, like we said last week, embracing more poverty. Doesn't mean you're going to be destitute, but it means when you die, if you follow my way, you're going to have far less in your bank account than you would if you've only followed the ways of the world. That you're going to release things to people. You're going to suffer the impact of a way of loving. You're going to take the cost upon yourself in order for them to potentially receive something far greater than the loss of money or property or reputation. So this lifestyle that Jesus lays out, if you're not already, I hope you feel a little bit the weight of it. It's incredibly challenging. You're beginning to see that um, this is a complete reversal of what seems natural to us. This is a complete reversal of what seems natural to us. So how can Jesus ask us to do these things without the expectation this is going to be a total failure? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is um, widely acknowledged by all scholars, by all thought leaders throughout history as sort of one of the pinnacles of human achievement. What he says here, how he says it, uh, the implications are mind-shattering. But oftentimes, we, we, one of the other strategies that we avoid the implications of what Jesus is saying here is by putting it on a pedestal and lifting it high and making it so remote that we say, oh, it's beautiful, but it's humanly impossible to do. And then we go about our own business of learning the ways of enmity. But that's not Jesus' intention. Jesus doesn't just talk and expect it to be beautiful. He is speaking to actually show us a way to live our lives radically different from the world in which we inhabit. And he addresses this here in verses 32 and 34. He kind of goes on an excursus. That's basically the way of him saying, I understand the way the world works. I'm not a fool. I get it. 
I know what I'm saying is radically different than the way in which you're operating and you've seen the world operate. But he's basically asking his audience and us a question. How's that working for you? How's the way of enmity actually working for you? We don't need to go back to the first century. We don't need to go back further than this past week to say and to answer this question with certainty. How are the ways of enmity working in our world? How are the ways of enmity working in ourselves? How are the ways of enmity working in our family? They're destructive. They're tearing us apart. They're utterly maddening. They're going to, if we fully embrace this way of, you know, cursing and stealing and hatred, they're literally going to leave us with nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying to his audience then and now is the way of enmity is death. Be careful. What seems good going down, that really well-turned curse, that really well-crafted Facebook post, that really snarky thing to say to your brother or sister-in-law, that really um, shady way of getting some extra money, those things taste good on the tongue, but once you swallow them, they destroy your soul. But what I'm saying, says Jesus, is hard. It seems hard at the start, but the way that I'm laying out, the way of wisdom, the way of following me, will actually, though it seems hard at the start, forgiving your enemies, loving those who curse you, will actually give you life. And here he tells you the life that you will have. He says, first of all, there's a reward for following this way. We talked about this. We touched on it a little bit last week. There, Jesus promised a reward of joy to those who lived out the Beatitudes. And here he's going back to that reward and reminding them again. There is a reward for following this path. It is not a um, journey that leads to nothing. It's not a bridge to nowhere. This way I'm calling you to, this way of loving your enemies, leads to reward. It leads to joy. It leads to joy because what he says here, you will become sons of God. You will become sons of God because when you follow this way, you enact and you become this little displays of God's character in the world. This is the way God acts. He is an enemy lover. He is one who moves towards. He is one who in the face of cursing and hatred and misappropriation and all kinds of abuse, steadfastly moves towards those objects of, his, of their enmity with kindness and compassion. That God's character and the way he operates is mercy. He is only mercy. Wherever you slice and dice God, you always get the answer, mercy. Who is God? In his power, he's mercy. 
Who is God in his wisdom? He is mercy. Who is God in the revelation through Jesus? He's mercy. Who is God when you assault him? He's mercy. Who is God when you bless him? Mercy. God's only way of operating is as a God of mercy towards those who show enmity towards him. And so when we embrace this path, when we move in the way that Jesus calls us, we are moving into the very character and experience of who God is. What would be great here is I wish I had a personal story of tremendous change that happened immediately upon me enacting these things in my life. I would love to have that story. Well, this person did this amazingly horrible thing to me and I put in these principles and suddenly we're best friends and they were my best man at my wedding and all that sort of stuff. I, sorry, I don't have that story. What I have is a story though of how this works in my life. Forgiveness is a process. It's not a point. It begins with a point. All those things I just asked you to do, to do good and to bless and to pray and to give, begin with a point of saying, I'm going to begin to enter in this way. I'm going to begin to walk this way. But that decision to walk in that way is not the end of the line. You're, it's not like the teleporter in Star Trek that I suddenly arrived just because I decided to go. Forgiveness is a process. It takes time. That loving an enemy is always moving towards and on the tracks of doing good and blessing and praying and giving. And there will be incremental experiences of joy in the process, I can promise you. But it will not be the fullness of the joy. We are moving and we believe in and Jesus is calling us towards belief in his coming that will set all things right. But because we believe in that day when all things will be made right and every enmity erased and all injustice settled and everything that needing forgiveness reconciled, that process is starting now. And you and I have the opportunity to be about our father's business. That when he calls us his sons and daughters, when he calls us into this, he's calling us into the family business. God's family business is mercy giving. It's enemy loving. And he's calling us into this process because there is joy at the end. But there's also joy in the process. When we see people change, when we see ourselves change, when we see our relationships change, when we see our marriages change, we experience deep joy in the here and now. And it's only because we began to follow the way of Jesus. Forgiveness also forces us to see others differently. Forgiveness forces us to see others differently. I think for me, I'm just personally testifying here, partly this way of forgiveness has changed the way I see other people. 
Some people, I used to think, you know, there's heroes and villains. And this has made me see even my heroes have feet of clay oftentimes. That they've done dastardly things. That they are human and fallible and have said and done things I wish they had not said and done. And that doesn't diminish their contribution, but it keeps me from placing them on a pedestal and unquestionably or blindly following them. And it also humanizes my enemies, the people I would want to villainize. It's made me see them as people who have redeeming qualities. And even those who are absolutely maybe opposed in every possible way to the things I believe in are still objects and people of God's affection that they, just as much as me, are the reason God moves towards humanity in order to bless and to heal and to restore. And so it really changes um, the way we approach, the way I approach conversation, who I think is on my side or not. It also creates in me a deep humility that I am just like them. There are things both within me that I need to be corrected of, as well as things that I need to be affirmed with. And so it creates a both honest and humble stance towards the world. And forgiveness moves us to mercy. As I said, you can't, any way you slice or dice God, you get mercy. The same is true of Jesus. And Jesus' call into loving of enemies is fundamentally a call to himself. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. This is the rest we need. Christians, this is the rest you need. This is the rest from the weariness of trying to be God's people in the world according to the rules of the world. You have a guidebook. You have a game plan. You have a list now for how to approach any situation you find yourself in, at work or at home, in your neighborhood, wherever. Doing good, blessing, praying, giving. Those are your guidelines. And it leads us into experiencing the mercy of Jesus in the moment. When we do mercy, we become the face, the hands, the people of Jesus to that person who has never experienced it before. Think about that. It's a tremendous privilege to be people who bear mercy to the world. For those of us who are not walking or in the faith or have acknowledged Jesus as Savior, this call is the answer you've been seeking in so many ways. The answer you've been looking for and trying to build a life based on goodness or a life on performance or a life on attainment. Jesus clearly says here in other places, those foundations will fail you. The only thing that will bring you life is a life of mercy. I am a God of mercy. Come, call on me, and I will bring you life.
This is a breathtaking statement. Love your enemies. But it leads to an even more breathtaking experience of being able to know this God who moves towards us in mercy, who loves you by name, and calls you into his life, which is eternal, through this Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, teach us the ways of mercy. Show us how to embrace your path. Teach us how to do good, how to bless, how to pray, how to give. And Lord, through that, let us be your emissaries in the world to show you the glory of your character. Amen.